You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. Yes, welcome again to another Physics Ed Podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day. And yet again, we're diving into science education. And this time, we're looking at gifted education and enrichment classes, really creating clubs at lunchtime or after school and linking in with scientific researchers who actually do the work for real, which is so important for students to get. And I tell you what, Desley Tate has been doing this spectacularly well. She's currently working at Loretto Kirribilli in Sydney as a gifted and talented coordinator for K-12, and she has a true passion for gifted education. And trust me, they do a buckle load of stuff. Now, one of the things she's been doing is for the last seven years been working with Dr. Hayden Albert, who is a lecturer in physiology at the School of Medical Sciences at the Boss Institute of the University of Sydney, and together they've been running these enrichment classes for their primary kids. And I can tell you this, they have been having a ball, and <laughs> so are the students. So uh, this is what it's all about. We're looking at you know, what worked for them, what hasn't worked for them, you know, all that sort of stuff. And we get to hear about you know what they've been doing at Loretto Curability. So look, I hope you had a fantastic uh, time listening in this, and uh, let's get right on into it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech, and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Desi Hayden, welcome to the Physics Ed Podcast. Ah, thanks. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Ben. Especially on a wet, cold, miserable start of winter day. <laughs> it is. It is. The day before my birthday. Is it really? Yes, today, uh, but that's okay. They can rain today. Winter warming dinner tomorrow night or something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> Your idea. So uh, where are we? We're at um, oh, Loretto Kirribilli. So uh, tell us, you've been doing a lot of gifted science stuff and STEM stuff for a while now, and that's you know, thanks very, very much for having me along for have a chat with you guys. So tell me, what's been going on here? <laughs> what have you been up to? Well, maybe if I tell you a bit about the program that we've got running here. So we have a gifted program here from K to 12. And sort of the basis of our program is a mentor program. So we have a lot of mentors at our school who work with students from kindergarten through to year 12. They're all volunteers and they're all fabulous people. And Hayden, um, Dr Albert here, is one of our long... Oh, he is our longest standing uh, member of the mentor program. He's been with us for seven years, I think. Um, he's been mentoring in the program. So um, what, what Hayden and I do is we particularly work with a group of gifted and talented science students who come from year four, five and six. Fantastic. And um, just quickly, Hayden, how did you get involved in this? How did you get roped in? Um, for me, it was uh, part of this uh, CSIRO Scientists in the Schools program. So it, was, uh, it didn't have any fancy name, I don't think, even back then. It was just Scientists in, in Schools. And there was a sister program, Mathematicians in Schools. And so I was one of the Scientists in Schools. And uh, the CSIRO's educational team, for, um, for, for lack of their, their actual official name, um, paired, pairs scientists, um, or STEM professionals, I think they call them these days, um, to, with with schools who wanted to 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 come up with a sort of set of activities that they do with their kids and whatever the background of their kids uh, I think sometimes the if I understand the program correctly out at other schools it's um, uh, uh, students who who don't have as many resources so you're sort of supporting um, supporting uh, students sort of 
maybe you're you're their main exposure to science because they haven't sort of really seen it much in other ways as opposed to the other end of the spectrum which is what we tend to do with the with the gifted students where, yeah. where we're trying to challenge them even further um so they they often have we're often surprised in in our class um you know just how much the students understand and the the words that they remember and the oh. people I, I had a picture up on the board of of um what was his name of Joseph Priestley, the the guy who invented oxygen, <laughs> and and um and and I w- we were I forget what we were doing at the time. I think we were doing some chemistry activity, and and the students wanted to do something with the periodic table, and so I had a picture of him up there because he had he had identified. I think he's got the record of identifying. I think six um, six elements, um, and so I had a picture of him. And someone said, "Oh, is that Joseph Priestley?" Just out of the blue, this <laughs> like did. little grade four or five girl. How does that happen? Yeah. How does that happen? <laughs> just, on site, she yeah. just recognizes Joseph Priestley from the. Um, yeah. I don't even know when, uh, from the 1800s, yes. early 1800s, 1700s, yeah. whenever he was. I've always found that um, with um, with kids that you, that it's not so much their age, it's what they're into in yes. a lot of ways. I mean, I remember actually running a program, I think it was for year three, we were doing a simple human body program. And these kids in front of me were just talking about their red blood cells, their white blood cells, and they do stuff in our body. And a child just looked at me and said, they're called erythrocytes, they're called leukocytes, and uh, there are mm. various versions of these uh, T cells, etc. I went, Yes, that's right. So uh, you're going to spend some time with me and do a year 11 biology while the rest of the year three class is another part. <laughs> that's that's that so true. Yeah. That's so true. And look, mm. we're really lucky, Hayden and I, because we actually have just the top students. So mm. most of the time the kids are on board and they're following what Hayden's talking about. Uh, so it's great. It's not like a, a normal classroom. Uh, but the same way you can um, mentors a great value in the normal classroom as well because basically all of us as teachers have got to be differentiating and catering for these students all day long in our science classrooms and our maths classrooms and engineering classrooms so mentors can help you in the classroom as well absolutely and i do know that the uh, csro the commonwealth scientific and industrial research organization does have a fantastic um education outreach team i used to be involved in that and uh the scientific scientists in schools if you are listening uh just seriously just go type in csro science in schools you'll find it mm. and you'll find a way you can get involved if you are of the scientist or engineering type or if you're not if you're in the education field go find that because you can go find people to partner up and do stuff and now you're several years on loretto curability has been doing this for a bucket load of time we have been we've been so out, we've been involved with the CSIRO program I think it's now called STEM Professionals if ah. anybody's looking for it I think it's called STEM Professionals so we're very much involved with the STEM Professional program and we would have maybe um, seven or eight mentors coming from the program Hayden being our number one but seven or eight other males and females who are involved in the program um, but we don't just use mentors from the CSIRO. So if anybody is out there listening, that's not the only place to get your mentors from. Universities are so happy to offer their time. Um, there are many people out there in the community who want to volunteer. So part of our... We, we've got a student who's doing very well in geoscience, and so we have the um, head dean of geoscience from Sydney University who comes out and mentors one of our Year 12 girls once every two weeks. So, but there's very keen people out there who want to help you with mm. your kids. One of the things we're expected to do at university is is engage with the community. So, community engagement is is one of the ways in which we're judged. And so, um, <laughs> uh, so I think there's there's many people who who genuinely enjoy doing that part of the work. It's it's not all about sitting in lectures or sitting. It's even worse sitting in um, uh, uh, committee meetings. It's um, it's about getting out and seeing the enthusiasm or generating the enthusiasm by showing people just what these things that the um, that the, the students 
experience. So the, the students sit in their classes all day, every day, and they think, what is this for? What, what, what are we learning this maths for? What do you do with this maths? Or what do you do with this biology? So to hear from people who actually use it as part of their career or their profession, I think, is, is, makes it real. It makes it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, obviously, I mean, you can bring your, lend your own uh, expertise to a particular area. Um, but then obviously, as a science professional, you can deal with a lot of different questions with kids because they're going to have a lot of, a lot of, a lot. I mean, when we, I mean, when we walked in the room, um, you, I mean, you were pulling together some um, greenhouses by the look of it. Yeah, well, we actually find we run out of time almost every single lesson yep. um, because the students are just racked with questions about what they've heard and what they've learnt or things that they remember because they've read about it. Um, mm. I'm fairly sure our group of students in, uh, are particularly interested in science um, and we try to, to do different areas of science or, or do activities with different fields of science so that they just get a taste, a brief taste of lots of different types of science. Mm. Um, one, a couple of years they wanted to do um, some chemistry, so we did some chemistry. Um, this year we're doing some physics and we haven't done as much of that before. I'm a biologist by, by trade, so I, uh, every, most years we'll, we'll do a fair bit of um, uh, biology in, in what we do. I feel um, like it's been almost an un- unfair question in some ways, but uh, I mean, like, for the last few years, you've been doing lots and lots of uh, programs, and, and this is the same for you, Desley, as yes. well. Can you think back to, like, you look back or across all these lessons, has there been one that's just a lesson where it's, it's simply sung? It simply just works so incredibly well, more more than you expected, yes. so to speak. Like, you know, we've got lots of these ones, let's be honest. But uh, mm-hmm. every now and then you come up with a lesson, and you know what? It was just a simple thing, and the kids just wouldn't let it go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what sort of ones have you, you seen that have gone, you know what? Dissection. Yeah, okay, dissection. dissection. <laughs> without fail, dissection without fail. is the, the most that popular so thing funny. that they want to do. So, what have you? Uh, so, what are they dissecting? Because there's a few different things they could cut up. Yeah, um, I, I, I do first year. Well, actually, do first year all the way through to third year biology at, at university level, and so we we dissect various parts. Um, I, I, I lecture in physiology, so we do the whole body over the course of, of um, our second year and third year units. But then first year units also do a general sort of biology, um, and. and um, so we, uh, so I try to sort of give them, uh, give these students, the, the, the primary school students, um, some organ systems that sort of just take them generally through the whole body. So we'll do the cardiovascular system. So we'll, we'll bring the heart in, and that week we'll, yeah. we'll sort of dissect the heart, and the students oh. enjoy finding the, the structures of the heart. Some some people will have fed hearts to their cats, and then, and will have <laughs> never even stopped to look at what are all these stringy things on the inside. Yeah, yes. And and to put names to things, to uh, to put the, like the um, the cord tendony and the yeah. the papillary muscles and the um, the, uh, the the different um, the different valves and uh, the the semilunar valves at the as the aorta comes out, and just behind two of the semi-lunar uh, valves is the um, the opening of the um, the coronary arteries, and so for them to be able to get their probes and stick their um, <laughs> stick things into all of these little holes and bits and pieces, and you get them using the names. I, I find actually that's the most interesting thing, isn't it? It is. The, it sounds really professional and really knowledgeable when you use the proper names for things, but they're just names. They're just a language. Yeah, so atrium I, I, is a room. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, I find yes. getting the kids just to use the names and the words uh, and the things like that. And so they, they use the terms. Um, but it's fabulous because Hayden uses these terms and uses these words, and sometimes they're not familiar to me either. But he says to the students all the time, you know, I'm saying these things to you and I'm talking at a higher level to you because later on I hope when you're sitting in that classroom, in biology classroom in year 10 or year 11, you'll go, ah, that's what Dr. Up was talking about three or four years ago. You will actually retrieve some of those memories. So with the dissections, Dr. Up is often, Hayden's often talking about in high level language, but 
And sometimes I see some of the little kids, the year fours, probably looking at slightly perplexed. Yeah. Uh, the year fives are okay, and the year sixes are fairly much on board most of the time. Uh, but it's okay that they're exposed to this. If these are the gifted students, so this is what they need to be exposed to. Well, this is the thing, like uh, Desley, you, like this is a major role you have here at Loretta with yes. uh, gifted education. Um, I mean, there's uh, there's the wins and the losses, and then there's the challenges, which means that often, so um, when we go when we go into a lot of different schools, and people have different ways of dealing with the gifted students in yes. certain ways. Um, how do you go about even just identifying mm. a child who needs additional support? Yeah, okay. So there's a variety of ways. Um, we start with, we've got a whole lot of tests that we administer to students. Uh, anybody out there in the education field will be familiar with the Ravens coloured mattresses. We use those in kindergarten. We use the uh, MIAT, the Middle Years Achievement Test for our Year 5s to 8s. Um, we do all-well testing in Year 7, and that's across the whole cohort. Uh, and we just uh, and we also use another test called Slozen, which is a one-on-one test, and I find it's got a great correlation between that result and an IQ result. So as a teacher, we cannot administer an IQ test. We can't mm. get an IQ, but I find students that do the Slozen and then sometimes go off and have a psychometric test done on them, there's a lot of correlation between the two tests. So we've got all of those um, objective ways, and then with the subjective ways, we've got always principal nomination. So the bottom line comes down to our principal can nominate a child to be in the program because uh, teachers will often say for the gifted student, I mean, a lot of gifted kids don't perform on tests. That's the bottom line. But you know they've got that quirky style. They're the ones that um, ask the questions all the time. Uh, And teachers will sometimes come to me and say, look, you know, this child's not performing in class. They're actually a little disengaged, but they're really funny. They're really funny, um, and they ask me really hard questions. I can't answer some of them. So then I look at that kind of child, and you know, between the teacher and the principal and myself, they can enter the program as well. Our program from kindergarten through to year six, they enter the program and they stay in the program the whole way through, and there's testing the whole way through. In the high school from seven to 12, it's a little bit broader. There's a whole lot of other areas they can go into, obviously, um, the truly gifted mathematician goes into you know four unit maths and um, is extended that way. And some of those students eventually end up in your class, Hayden. Yes. Yeah. Um, I. It's actually changed a little bit this year, but uh, until this year, um, I, I've been looking after the advanced cohort of one of our units of study. Um, so I, I end up getting them once they sort of reach us in second year um, and, and have the advanced students then. And. Um, mm. You know, I find the same thing. What, what you were saying about um, some students, although they don't test well, yes. you could still reasonably consider them gifted or they have an approach to it which is quite different from other students. We, we yes. find in, in honours, um, in our honours year, which is our fourth year after, after they've done their three years of their undergraduate, um, some students just don't sit exams well. They don't remember a whole bunch of stuff well. Mm-hmm. But when you get to honours all you're doing is your research project. And so just having a single research project that you then devote yourself to, and, and it's actually it's hands-on, so you're actually doing something rather than just trying to remember a bunch of stuff or even understand it. That, um, it but it's a, it's a different type of learning and it's a different type of engaging mm. with the material. And, and, and so I think that really does tease those sorts of people out. Some, some students are gifted. Yes. 
in the way they conceive of things, and it's not necessarily just remembering things well for an exam, I, I don't think. Uh, and, and certainly we have a lot of what's called gifted under... Well, we don't have a lot here, but in the gifted population, there's a lot of gifted underachievers. So those... And, and it happens a lot with, with girls, with the females. They just want to fly under the radar and they don't want to be seen as um, anything extraordinary. So that's another thing we Is have to watch out for. Is that even in an all-girls school? It, it can sometimes be, yeah, in an all-girls school. I, I, I saw it a lot more in... Um, when I co-ed mm-hmm. uh, but yeah even in an all-girls school mm-hmm. some of them just want to be normal mm-hmm. they consider it normal just be like the other girls yeah and you do see that and, it, um, and it's sad yes but at the same point I mean they need that support to be able to you know blossom and bloom and do all that sort of thing and actually I'm, I'm going to actually throw to you I mean the you recently were lucky enough to go overseas and do a bit of uh, yes. travelling around to see other schools, how they handle this uh, through the uh, tertiary fellowships. Where yes. did you get to, get, get to go? Oh, look, I was really, really lucky. I got to go to Singapore. I got to go to Baltimore and New York and Washington and Indianapolis. I, I sort of worked my way across the states back to LA and I got the opportunity to go into many schools and... Um, in all of the schools, I saw a whole lot of different models of, educa- of education, which any of your teachers out there all know, things like visual thinking tools and um, Bloom's taxonomy. There was a lot of that going on in a lot of schools. But if I was to be honest, by the time I tr- finished my Churchill Fellowship, um, while I travelled to look at how to improve the potential of high-potential students, um, I discovered that probably the number one way the states are doing it is through teacher coaching. You're right. So I started my Churchill Fellowship thinking I was just going to be going in and out of classroom and seeing what strategies are just being done in the classroom. And by the time I'd travelled for my eight or nine weeks, I had discovered that um, America has a whole program in a lot of their schools for teacher coaching. So there are trained teachers who are coaches and they are coaching their teachers to improve student outcomes. Yeah. It's a natural progression, so one-on-one coaching to improve student outcomes, and that's what we're here for, to improve student outcomes, make those kids happy, make them achieve. So um, through the fellowship, that's that's one of the major findings that I brought back to Australia was that um, we need to get coaching up and going for our teachers. Which is quite an undertaking considering how many thousand teachers there are out there too. Exactly, exactly. So there's well, there's a whole lot of training colleges where people can become coaches, and it's it's a it's a... Um, slowly, slowly program. And if you're at a school like, say, here at Loretto, where we've probably got um, 150 teachers, uh, it's always the one third, one third, one third theory in coaching. It follows mm. that as well. We've got one third that are super keen to be coached, and we've got one third that are looking on. Look, I think I want to do that. And we've got one third that are not interested, and that's fine too. So you work with your one third that are keen. Sounds you coach like a bell those. Curve. Ex- <laughs> Funny about that. <laughs> Funny about that. So that's yeah. So from the Churchill Fellowship, that was one of the major findings was that coaching improve, vastly improves student outcomes as a form of professional development, as opposed to a hundred teachers sitting in a room listening to a lecture. Well, it's actually, like I mean, we've had um, uh, a lot of opportunity to interact with a lot of gifted students and bucket loads of schools all over the place, and um, and also their parents. And um, that it's always interesting to see re- reflecting from the parents' end, like what their expectations might be of said class. And sometimes the teachers that we might come across, we go, oh, actually, they're really, really good at X, but we just want to help them out on might be Y, the social skills or uh, collaborative skills and things, because they're really, really good at working by themselves, but that doesn't help once they leave the yeah. school. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because it's not just the child, it's also the entire family that you're sort of, by surrogate, working with too. Yes, mm. to- well, I, can, I suppose I can speak about that because we are uh, we work 
I work a lot with all the families here. The parents are very involved, and in a good way, they're very involved, and I talk to them a lot about their their students. And with the gifted kids, you've really got to worry about, this, as you were saying, the socio-effective needs of the student. Um, you know, the academic side, yes, and, and, and here we do the academic side well. Uh, we're working on the socio-effective needs of the gifted student, and the way we do that is by coaching the gifted student as well. Mm. So students come to my room and sit... At, so the students that work with me come to me one-on-one -on -one whenever we've got a chance. It can be morning time, recess time, lunch time, whenever I've got a free period or they've got a free period, and I coach them through whatever is going on in their life. And I've discovered it's so much about relationships. It's so much about relationships in every workplace. It's so much about relationships in every school. Um, specifically with the gifted students, it's really important, that relationship. Actually, I was um, uh, just finished off the series that was on Netflix. I'm really terrible at the names of these things. It was astronauts, so do you think you have what it takes? But, but the reality, or something like that. It was a BBC thing with Commander Chris Hadfield, who was the, uh, oh. in charge of the International Space Station for a number of years, uh, and a whole bucket load of missions. And um, they were putting a whole bunch of... Uh, people through the paces that astronauts have to go through. And, of course, people expect a certain aptitude around mathematics and spatial orientation and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of it all, at the very last eat, like last night when it all finished up when I finally watched it, uh, the, it was simply just eventually these people got to live in this tin can. Simple. They've oh. got to work together. And eventually, if we can't split hairs as to who people can work with, uh, I just want to, I mean, this is an education podcast, but the reality is they're working with adults. I just want to sit down and have a beer with them and work out, can I hang out with this person, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> back, back to the relationship. Yeah. Back to the relationship. And you said before, Ben, the interesting thing about the gifted kids is that they work really well on their own. They really like to work on their own. Um, if, it, it, I would suggest that with the group of kids that I work with most of the time in any grade, if I said, we've got a project, what do you want to do? Do you want to work in partners or do you want to work on their own? The majority of them would go, I want to work on my own because they're all... A lot of them are perfectionists and a lot of them will just want to go and do their own thing. But within the gifted program, we have to develop a lot of collaborative programs because that I keep saying to them, this is real life. You won't be working on your own. You'll be working, certainly when you go to university and do your, when you go to the high school, you'll be working with kids all the time. When you go to university, you'll be working collaboratively, collaboratively on projects. And then when you go out to the workforce, it's the same thing. You can't just go to whatever industry you're in and say, well, I just want to work in my office on my own. Um, so that's a challenge too. One of the biggest complaints at Sydney Uni, um, there's a, a Facebook page called, uh, called UCID Rants, um, oh, right. which is devoted to the students, generally the students, um, complaining about something about they, they, something that they get up on their high horse about. And, and one of the, the biggest, most complained about things, uh, apart from the toilets in the Fisher Library, um, <laughs> for whatever reason. Hello is, to all you cleaners out there. Yeah. To <laughs> <laughs> um, is, is the... Um, I was just trying to think. What was it? What was my point? What, what, what are the rants on? What are they ranting about? Are they ranting? Oh, that's right. About how they have to carry all the other students in a group project. So, um, yeah. so, so you'll almost always in in any group project have someone who does all the work, or someone occasionally who just doesn't does nothing. And the other the other students in the group, are, you know, they try to introduce them, say, "Look, how do, how about you do this? Is that something that you are able to do with the time that you've got?" And, yes. uh, and that person either never gets back to them, it doesn't do it. They it's getting close to the timeline, so the others have to do it anyway. So now they've done their stuff and his stuff, and try to include this person so they can get a grade. And then sometimes they try to liaise with the teacher so that they can say, "Look, this person didn't actually do anything. So is it fair that he gets all the money? and all that sort of stuff?" Whereas, um, so, so 
Oh, it's 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 a problem. It's a problem. I mean, it, it, it's it's an issue for primary school students, secondary school students, and university students. In any yeah. committee on, any, the, on the planet, anything um, like that. This is how it, it all works. It's crazy. It is, crazy. It is mm. any committee. Yeah, that's right. You <laughs> just could just sometimes think, I'll just do the job myself. It's just easier. Yeah, so but, working with other people. But sometimes you also see, I notice in our students, the primary yeah. students, um, is that you've got some super talented ones. Yes. Who. Delight is that the the good, yes. the best word for it? Delight in in helping others along. Like they can see that, say the grade fours don't necessarily aren't, aren't necessarily following along. So mm. they sort of bring them in, say, um, "Oh, do you want to help with this bit? You do that bit, and then we do this." And so so they they include them. They they really go out of their way to sort of be inclusive to the others and help keep them moving as fast as everyone else is, which I think is really good. I agree. And um, something I like to look at sometimes too is uh, the flip side. The flip side of when you know you, you got the class that sings and it worked really perfectly well. Of course, it had some absolute clangers. As educators, there's always a time when we've run a program and it just didn't work. It just, for whatever reason, can you think of a time where you run a session with some kids and for whatever reason, it doesn't necessarily have to be the materials, but um, or it's not worked or maybe just something just outright just was hilariously funny that just went totally left field of what you expected for this session. Um, just just out of just interest. Like, what did had... we do? Well, one day we, years ago, years ago, we did something on the tennis courts where we were doing the light with the mirrors, and nothing was working with it. Yeah, the mirrors didn't work. The but mirrors because it was cloudy. <laughs> 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 what were you trying to do? <laughs> oh, we were doing solar energy for yeah, okay. for, for a unit, yeah. and one of the things we we're trying to do is. I always try to think of ways of getting the students to experiment, to, to predict what's going to happen, and then we'll carry out the activity and see if what they expect to happen does happen. Um, and so in this particular case, we're, we're trying to see, um, so they can reflect um, sunlight with their, their mirror. Um, and so we had, I think, 20 of them out there with their mirrors, and we were trying to all heat up a cup of water. Um, Interesting. So we had a cup of water propped on a ladder, and I think, and we were trying to get each of the students to sort of um, get their mirror reflecting the sun. So then we had 20 suns all directed at that cup. And it just oh, it and, and I think we were trying to get blue tack as well behind the mirrors to try and even blue yeah, tack because we couldn't, we couldn't hold them in place. Because the, the students end, were holding it. Because we were something like, the cup was yeah. only like six metres away, and so it was miles away. So the yeah. tiniest little movement of their <laughs> mirrors meant their light was flashing all over the place so I, I, it just wasn't it, it just it, it was working. it was fun but it wasn't it wasn't working so that yeah. exploration of experimental design just there yeah i mean imagine the kids would have learned a lot out of that failure yeah i mean because i mean, the, I mean yeah. conceptually on paper it sound it's quite sound mm. yeah. yeah add heat energy to cup will heat up yeah. mm. well that's actually one of the things that i i, I struggle with or not struggle with is the wrong word but um would like to improve about this the the um the way we run the classes here is that often we'll, we'll do a we'll do a class, but then we'll sort of go on to the next things. We, we never mm. get to sort of progress it and to mm. sort of um, do uh, iterations of it. So as mm. you say, we found out that that way didn't work. So what's an, what what could we do instead? Um, so we might bring the distance closer of the bring the cup closer to the mirrors. We might do it somewhere where it's not quite as windy as I think it was that, that yes, day. Yes, it was windy. Do yes. it in summer when maybe it's hotter. Um, you know, do it uh, do it inside so we can sort of um, on a table so we can sort of uh, hold the mirrors more steady so that the beams actually um, sum and, and sort of. No, no it, totally. The environment can fight against you. I mean, it, if only it was only just this morning I was at my daughter's school and they're talking about maybe sorting up some static electricity experiments. It's wet. 
<laughs> it's it's going to be hard. You know, I suppose yeah. I'll hear reports this afternoon how it went. Oh, <laughs> but, yeah, um, of course. And that's the thing. And then that's the issue with the iterative process. It should be you, you have a go, you tweak it, you have a go, you tweak it, et cetera, et cetera, till conclusion. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that, of course, the curriculum's crowded enough. Yes. And mm. it's always the tension that you've got and you can't sometimes and, win. And, and that is exactly what Hayden and I suffer with, have suffered with every week mm. on Tuesday afternoon for seven years because we're, we have something as simple and basic as car line that has to be we have to stop classes at quarter to three there is no negotiating it so yeah, that's right. every tuesday afternoon we're often right in the middle of something just, sorry stop you got to go to carline end of story yeah. uh, they're all running out the door still with cellophane in their hands or sticky tape and you don't want to squash their curiosity yes. so i mean first half of today's class it was all about questions where questions we got completely sidetracked into mm. photosynthesis and talking about the enzymes that are involved in photosynthesis and what the reverse of photosynthesis is in auditro and we're you know talking about organisms that can make their own sugars versus the ones that can't, so the heterotrophs, and mm. um, and, and and then they were asking questions because they, they they had thought about things. Say, so how much? What's the percentage of CO two that gets breathed out of a person? And so we yeah. were talking about you know the physiology of of respiratory and gases, and and that's great, and that's great conversation. It's fantastic, and that's uh, yeah. and, and, so you don't want to squash it. No, you don't want to squash that. Stop yeah. your interest. <laughs> no, build your cellophane thing. Actually, while while you're all listening in on this, um, and it's not so much a product placement, but I suggest going to Flipgrid. Check out Flipgrid because that is a asynchronous learning tool, which means that those sort of conversations where those kids can, you got, they just want to buzz, they want to buzz. They can, I mean, it depends on the school. Some people will not have phones in said school. However, if they're on the bus and they've got the, the phone, they can then go to face to face, look mm. at the camera, and say, "Hey, I've got a question for you, Hayden or Desley. Yeah. I've got this question, or my, I've got my thoughts." And they can put this up on boards, and they can then look at this as a, you can look at this as educators, and also the other students can look back on this series of videos that look like a basically like Pinterest, uh, and it means that, um, yeah, the the uh, the kids can get right into it. So um, just an idea. Uh, it doesn't mean it can work for everyone because we're all a bit busy, but uh, just, just as a thing. But the, I know what you mean. I mean, I know that uh, certainly as a high school teacher, ex-high school teacher, you'd be right in the middle of the lesson, and if, if we haven't sorted out our time management, kids are out the door because they've got to get the history. <laughs> it's mm. just what it is. And you see the same thing in undergraduate classes. I mean, they can be right into it in a lecture or a tutorial, but once it's over, they're out. Yeah. I find at uni, though, we're a little bit luckier in that you can reasonably expect that they'll actually do something once they leave the room, whereas we can't expect, um, you know, seven, ten-year-olds, that sort no. of thing, to... Once we tried to get them to do a project mm. when they were... Because a number of them were going overseas or mm. we, we were hoping to enter a video competition where they um, do... Um, it was a competition for video communication of science or yes. science communication, and the students would make up a video... it was the Eureka Awards, yeah. wasn't it Sydney Uni? Yeah, I think it the was Eureka the Eureka Prizes. Awards. Yeah. So we were hoping to get them to do that, but it just falls at a wrong time of the year, and so... Um, yes. So we can't get this, and the students are on holidays. So we can't, but we can't, couldn't get them to to do their project outside of the school. Um, it's it's it's, it's difficult. They have no say over what they do on holidays. It's their parents that are going to take them, drag them off to wherever they go. And... Totally, and because this is a different type of program, it's not the class Monday to Friday. Um, it's difficult to follow up on anything. So all mm. of in the, certainly in the junior school, the gifted program, there isn't any homework. There isn't a lot of follow-up because I might sometimes, because of a sports carnival or swimming carnival or concert or something, I mightn't see kids for two weeks anyhow. Um, so we don't tend to give them any homework. It, mm. it just doesn't work. I, I've tried it on and off, and Hayden and I have tried it, and it never works. Never works. So um, we'll, um, you know, just one of the things I always like always finish up these particular conversations with, with is uh, just always just find out what people have as an idea of, uh, you know, advice. Imagine that you had a bunch of uh, pre-service teachers in front of you and they're about to hit the wide world of the classroom and uh, 
you want to give some advice about how to deal with potentially gifted students that are going to be in their streams. Yes. Uh, what, I mean, it's kind of it's rough to try and wrap it all up in a minute or so, but what would you suggest would be some initial things that they should at least look out for? Oh, without fail, they should be doing the Certificate of Gifted Education at New South Wales Uni, which is an 18-month course, and they can do it straight on after their first degree. And it's called COGE, Certificate of Gifted Education, but it really should be Certificate of of good teaching really that's yes. all it is it's just good teaching and it's a marvelous course and i i have no vested interest in new south wales uni but i would be encouraging every uh, first out teacher to go and do the certificate of gifted education so you can understand how to identify and how to cater for the gifted student because as teachers we naturally it just comes naturally modifying everything for the special need kids we all do that and there's no way we would have a special needs child in our class that we wouldn't cater for them it just it's never happened in my career, and I've never seen any teacher that hasn't catered for them. We all teach to the middle of the class, but we tend, some teachers tend to leave those really gifted kids and go, oh, they can look after themselves because they think they can and also because they think that, um, you know, they don't, they don't know what to do with them. So if you're doing that certificate of gifted education... Absolutely. It really, really helps you. And if you're um, anywhere around the world, whether you've got a department school, or you're in a mm. school district, uh, Catholic education, independent schools, wherever you are, uh, just ask people, <laughs> where do I get said courses under my belt? Yes. Or at least find a professional association, a PLN, so to speak, professional learning network who can support you in that and that, um, help mm. you out to no end. Look, thank you so much, Desley mm. and Hayden, for coming in, especially in this wet, wet miserable sort of day. Mind you, it's starting to clear up. It is starting to clear up, yes. Yeah, it's looking did, good. Yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're lucky at uh, Loretta here, just looking at... It's not like you have a bad view here. <laughs> You're doing quite nicely. But, uh, look, thank you very much. And um, look, I'd love to hear more about what you've been doing with the Churchill Fellowship and Gifted Education and the yes. work you've been doing, Hayden, with all this gifted... I mean, seven years or so of work here? That's awesome. And amongst all the other stuff you've got to do. Um, but, look, thank you so much for your time and I uh, hope you have a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. Why don't you book us for a science show or workshop in your school? We love seeing students get excited about science, and you will too. Go to physicseducation.com.au and click on Schools for more info. Well, there we go. We just heard from Hayden and Desi, who have been doing fantastic work when it comes to getting gifted kids and really just kids interested in science in general. And that's awesome work at Loretta Curability. Now, this is the thing. You totally can be doing this yourself at your school. It can be done worldwide. So no matter where you are in the world, check up nepris.com. Nepris.com will hook you up with researchers no matter where they are with to you via web conference, which is certainly worth your time. Now, if you're in Australia, there's a couple of different ways to do this too. Check out the CSIRO Scientists in Schools program, the STEM Professional in Schools program. CSIRO will definitely hook you up with a scientist who will be able to work with your students in different ways. And if you can't get someone through that program, check out the uh, Talk Poppy campaign. It's run by the Australian Institute of Policy and Science. And the idea is it was created you know, quite a few years ago, back in 1998, to you know, recognise and celebrate Australian you know, scientists who are young and doing some fantastic work and those 200 scientists can be working with your uh, students as well. Why not? So there's three different ways you can do it and I'm sure you probably know a few more. If not, just hit me up. <laughs> uh, you know, leave a comment and you know, let us know ways that you can also hook up with your uh, local researchers. And by the way, you can also just you know, pick up the phone and send, or send an email to one of the faculties of science or engineering and just see if someone's prepared to you know, get involved. I mean, the 
engineers with our borders program, for example, when we're you know chatting on one of the other episodes a little while ago, this a good example of being able to get people out to sites. There really are. There's a lot of the ways to do this, and uh, I hope you can reach out to one of them to help students understand how STEM works in the real world. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed that chat. I certainly enjoyed uh, having it with uh, uh, Hayden and Desi, and we've got more coming up on this podcast, and uh, I hope you have a fantastic afternoon. I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au